0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 547 with Simon Sinek. Simon is going to share how you can find greater enjoyment and success and fulfillment in your work and more by adopting an infinite mindset. So you'll learn one, what most professionals get wrong about work. Two, some key practices for thriving in an infinite game. And three, how to keep your confidence during setbacks. So if you wanna check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com F547. Now here's Simon's story. Simon Sinek is an unshakable optimist who believes in a bright future and our ability to build it together. He's described as a visionary thinker with a rare intellect And he teaches leaders and organizations how to inspire people with a bold goal to help people build a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single day feeling inspired, feel safe at work, and feel fulfilled at the end of the day. Simon is leading a movement to inspire people to do the things that inspire them. Simon is the author of multiple best-selling books, including Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last, Together Is Better, and The Infinite Game. His TED Talk, Start With Why, is among the most watched TED Talks of all time. So that's pretty cool. Simon here is about to share how shifting to an infinite mindset helps you see things not so much as wins and losses, but states of being ahead or behind. Now, here's Simon. Actually, one quick note on this. The audio on Simon's side, you know, unfortunately, not exactly sure what happened. Didn't quite meet my standards. And our audio team, you know, they did some good work cleaning that up and editing out some of the poor portions. But just wanted to give a little apology. Ordinarily, when that happens, I say, hey, sorry, guest, um, we're going to have to reschedule and get a, a better audio setup. But uh, this one took over a year to schedule, so we had several people requesting Simon by name, so I made the call. Uh, feedback always welcome. Pete at awesomeatyourjob.com. And we are making strides in boosting audio quality. This one, unfortunately, was an exception, and it seemed like the right call to uh, not deprive y'all from Simon since he's been requested. And it took a while to schedule. So anyway, with that caveat in play, Simon is audible and he has some good things to say. So I hope you enjoy. Big thanks to Simon for sharing his wisdom with us. and Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out Here, Simon. Simon, thanks for joining us here on the How Do We Awesome Make Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited to dig into so much of your wisdom. You're known a lot for talking about your why and starting with why. So just so folks can orient to you if they're not as familiar, can you share what's your why?
2: To inspire people to do the things that inspire them so each of us can change our world for the better.
1: All right. Well, I'm all about that. So <laughs> we got a good fit here. And so I also want to talk about your latest book. It's been uh, a couple months, but still new. The Infinite Game. Can you share, what's the big idea here?
2: So in the mid-1980s, a philosopher by the name of James Karst theorized that if you have at least one competitor, a game exists, and there are two types of games, uh, finite games and infinite games. Uh, A finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective. Uh, Baseball, you know, football. There's always a beginning, middle, and end. And if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. Then there are infinite games. Infinite games are defined as known and unknown players. The rules are changeable. And the objective is to perpetuate the game. This means new players can join at any time. It means we can play however we want. But there is no finish line, so there's no such thing as winning or losing. Um, and if you think about it, we are players in infinite games every day of our lives. There's no such thing as winning your career. You know, no one's declared the winner of careers. There's no such thing as winning business or winning global politics, and yet when we listen to so many of our leaders, they talk about being number one, being the best, and beating their competition. Based on what? Based on what agreed upon objectives? Based upon what agreed upon timeframes? There's no such thing. There's no finish line. And the problem is, is when we play in an infinite game with a finite mindset, in other words, we play to win or be number one in a game that has no finish line, uh, there's some predictable and consistent outcomes. The decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, and the decline of innovation.
1: Hmm. Well, let's take it to a lot of that. So in the infinite game, the goal is to continue playing. So I guess then uh, the infinite game would need to be uh, fun or worthwhile. <laughs> uh, just kind of basically, if that's something worth perpetuating. It has to be
2: worthwhile. I think that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it has to exist to advance something bigger than each of us um, so that we would want to contribute something that will outlive us. We also play for the good of the game. And you can see this in business all the time. You know, finite minded uh, companies. Uh, um, if they have anything that works, any system that works, they hoard it like it's a, like it's a trade secret because they don't want any else to know about it because it should only benefit them. Some of the more infinite-minded companies, companies like uh, uh, Costco or the Container Store, if they figure out different systems and better ways of doing things, they talk about it. They talk about it out loud, Patagonia. They share their systems so that other companies may benefit. In other words, it's for the good of the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Boy, I love that. When I was consulting at the Bridgeband Group, that was a paradigm shift for me. Doing for-profit consulting, the nonprofit consulting—it's like, oh wait, we want the insights we come up with to be known by everyone in the social sector, so that more people can do the good thing to bring about benefits for everyone. It was night and day from you know, ooh, we got some competitive insight, you know, don't share that or because we need to keep our edge. But your point is, some for-profit entities are doing that. What's their thinking?
2: Well, the infinite-minded companies are trying to protect capitalism and advance capitalism and take care of the economy. And they want other companies to do well because they want other companies to protect and look after their employees. Um, It's not just a a, a short-term finite game where, you know, may we win and everybody else lose. There's no losers in this game. There's no winners in this game. That's the point. There's no such thing because the game has no agreed upon metrics, timeframes, or uh, or objectives. Mm -hmm. So we play to advance uh, our cause, and of course, we want to build healthier, stronger companies. But you know, two companies can do well at the same time. This is not a this is not a winner take all model.
1: Yeah, understood. Okay, well, so then you mentioned that there are some particular outcomes associated with trust, cooperation, and innovation. When you're working things in an infinite game mindset, you get more of those good things, and when you have a finite mindset, you have less of it. Can you give us a couple powerful examples of folks who? We're reaping those really cool benefits, kind of what they did and the results they saw, versus those who were not because they were thinking about things too finitely and suffering the consequences.
2: Well, if you take trusting teams, you know, one of the things that uh, infinite-minded organizations do is they strive to build trusting teams. And every single one of us knows what it's like to be on a trusting team. It means that we can raise our hands and say that we made a mistake or that we don't fully understand the job that we've been given, we need more training or that, We need help without any fear of humiliation or retribution. We don't fear that we'll be on some short list at the end of the year, but rather we say these things with confidence that our boss or our uh, colleagues will rush in to support us and help us. Unfortunately, too many of us know what it feels like not to be on a trusting team, where admitting a mistake could uh, get you in trouble or get you fired, Um, where admitting you don't know something would be a sign of weakness, would, would restrict your ability to get promoted, or worse, get laid off at the end of the year. And so we keep these things to ourselves. Dare we never, never say these things out loud? And eventually, mistakes compound, and people who don't know what they're doing, things start to break, and in the extreme, it can can collapse or end up in scandal. Um, and so what you find is that those infinite minded companies they believe they believe desperately in building trusting teams, and so the people who benefit are the ones who love working there. And you look at the best companies to work for: WD40, Container Store, you know. You talk to the people who work there, they love working there. They love their jobs. And it doesn't matter if their product is glamorous or not. I mean, WD-40 makes, you know, lubricant. It's basically a one product company. You know, how can you love working at a company that makes lubricant? Well, the people do, not because of the product, but because of the company, because of their colleagues, because of the leadership, because they have an infinite mindset
1: hmm You said the word scandal, and that's triggering for me. I-, I stalked all the reviews of your book before this interview, and someone said, you did the best job actually describing what went down with the Wells Fargo fake accounts <laughs> than anybody. like, and I worked there. So can you kind of draw that connection there between the story of that scandal and how finite thinking is part of the key cause there?
2: Sure. I mean, many of us know what happened at Wells Fargo. Uh, about 5,000 employees were held responsible for opening uh,
1: three and a half
2: million fake bank accounts. And they did so because the pressure on them to meet their sales goals were so extreme that you could get fired if you didn't play uh, play by the rules and you can get big bonuses if you did, that it led to something called ethical fading, where good people started to do things that were highly unethical, believing that they were well within their own ethical frameworks. Um, uh, in, and they would rationalize, you know, I got I to put food on the table. This is what my boss wants. Everybody's doing it. And the amazing thing was, uh, they fired 5,000 people for doing it, but they didn't uh, hold the senior uh, people accountable at all. Uh, the CEO eventually lost his job, not because the company decided to fire him, uh, but because of public pressure, because of congressional pressure. And he still walked away with a multi-multi tens of million dollars in in uh, in in pay. Uh, I mean, these are backward systems. These are backward systems. At the end of the day, they created a culture that was more obsessed with making money than doing the right thing. So guess what happened? Everybody money worked to make money in the short term, and uh, it came at the great expense of not only our ethical standards, but uh, uh, but at the end of the day, it actually hurt the company more than all the money they were making. This is the irony of the finite game. The benefits actually only uh, benefit you in the short term.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well said and well illustrated. So then... Let's maybe zoom into the realm of, uh, you know, an individual professional and you say that the mindset and thinking can really vary day by day. You know, it's like you're not 100% infinite mindset or 100% finite mindset, but it's in a way a choice that you make with how you choose to put your thoughts day after day. So could you maybe give us some examples of typical, maybe mental reactions or self-talk and what sort of finite thinking self-talk versus infinite thinking self-talk sounds like.
2: These are not uh, either or, it's both. Maintaining a, a, an infinite mindset is not the rejection uh, of, of finite, it's the context within within which the finite exists. So the problem is we overuse sports analogies. We, we, we treat business or careers or politics like it's a finite game, like there's a finish line. We talk about winning at the end, except... There is no way. You just keep going and going and going. We need need to change the mindset to think more of it like a lifestyle. Think of it more like exercise. There's nothing wrong with having a finite goal uh, if you want to do exercise. You want to lose X amount of weight by X date. That's fantastic. Goals are motivating. They're easy to measure. We feel good when we make progress. And if we hit the goal, we feel amazing. The problem is if we hit the goal, we have to keep exercising for the rest of our lives. We can't stop. Um, It's a context within, again, there's a a broader context. Um, But at the same time, if we miss our goal, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And we might make the goal, you know, a month or two later. But the most important thing is we're way healthier now than we were before we started working out. And we just keep at it. So the goals are motivating. Finite is good. But we have to remember that if we miss some of these goals, literally nothing happens. And we may be better off simply because we tried. So that's a better way to think about um, uh, approaching anything in the infinite game. Think of it more like lifestyle rather than game.
1: <laughs> that is quite a turn of a phrase. Literally nothing happens. <laughs> I think that could bring a lot of peace <laughs> to me. I mean, what happens, like, <laughs> you want to lose 10 pounds in, in, in five months? And if you lose eight pounds, you know, what, you know what happens? I mean, you set the arbitrary goal and you set the
2: arbitrary date. It's the same in business. We set the arbitrary goals and we set the arbitrary dates. Yeah. And we create incentive structures to drive people to hit a number on a certain date. But the reality is nothing happens if we miss those numbers. Nothing.
1: Oh, boy, that is getting my wheels turning. I mean, in, in a way, it's like, well, hey, what happened past tense is you lost eight pounds instead of tens. But I mean, like in terms of like you're not dead, <laughs> you're, you're still uh, look good. <laughs> the, the organization
2: doesn't won't collapse.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm with you. Oh, that's fun. That's fun to chew on a bit. So. That's the view in terms of – so you mentioned sometimes that you can think about things not so much in terms of I've won or I've lost, but maybe I'm ahead or I'm behind. Can you talk about some of that language?
2: That's 100% correct. There's no such thing as winning or losing in the infinite game. There's only ahead and behind. So I'll give you a great example. My nephew, he's eight years old, super super competitive little kid, and does not like to lose. gets very, very angry when he loses. He played a football game and his team lost. And because my poor sister subjected to all of my ideas as I'm, as I'm writing them, um, she knew about this idea of being ahead or behind rather than winning or losing. So my nephew was very upset. And my sister didn't dispense the standard parenting advice. You know, it doesn't matter who wins or loses, what matters is how you play the game. You know, that's usually what we tell our kids. My sister said, It's okay. Today you had a behind day. On another day, you'll have a ahead day. And she asked him. She said, "What do you want to do? Do you want?" She, he said, "I want to be a professional in football player one day." And she said, "Okay. Well, there's going to be a lot of ahead days and a lot of behind days. And you want to work hard to have more ahead days, but you're going to have behind days." So he didn't think of these things as final. He thought he started. He's starting to learn that it's a journey. And so he he he, he lost another game recently. And my sister asked him, "How how did today go?" And he said, "I had a behind day." And so he's learning that. The, the short-term wins and losses we have in our lives are just part of the journey. They're not final. And I thought that was such a healthy way of looking at the world.
1: That is handy. And it's a nice little nudge that ahead or behind is relative to a bigger scale. Correct. In terms of, it's not over. Here's one snapshot in time. And, you know, we're going to have another one the next day. And we'll see how that one looks.
2: Exactly. And remember, there are still finite games. You can still go out to play baseball. You can still go bowling but we have to ask ourselves what we're there to play to do as well. It's okay to be competitive, but we just have to remember the larger context.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then when it comes to leading an infinite game, you've spelled out five key ingredients that have got to be there. Can you give us a bit of a walkthrough of those? Sure.
2: The first one is you've got to have a just cause. You have to believe in a vision that's bigger than yourself, something you want to work to advance, um, an idealized thing of the world. You know? The founding fathers of the United States – Imagine an idealized future, a world in which all men are created equal, endowed with unalienable rights, amongst which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And America will never get there. We will never get to the point where all people are equal, but we will die trying. And that's the point. We commit our lives to advancing towards the cause, and some of the finite victories we have move us towards that, uh, towards that ideal. And when we have a sense of just cause, when we have a sense that our work uh, and our and the energy we invest. Is contributing to something bigger. It's what gives our lives and our work meaning. So many people work simply for short-term numbers, and you know, after a bunch of years and a bunch of bonuses, you start asking yourself, "What's this all for?" We need to have a just cause. We need to have an idealized vision for the future that we can that we can help build. We also need to build trusting teams. I talked about that one already, and we need to have uh, change our mindset away from seeing the other players as competitors, as competitors are people you want to beat, but rather to see them as worthy rivals. Um, some other players, whether they're individuals or other companies, do things better than we do. Well, we can learn about them. Instead of getting angry or insecure, we can look at ourselves and say, where can we improve? We've all had the experience at work where someone we work with gets a promotion and we got angry. Think about that for a second. We got angry at someone else's good fortune. Well, that's because so their strength are revealing some sort of weakness in us. And instead of getting angry or competitive with them, we can take a hard look at ourselves and say, Where can I improve? What nerve are they touching? That's really important in the intimate game. And then uh, the ability to completely change strategic course to advance that cause, and most importantly, the courage to do all these things. Because the pressures on us from almost every direction are overwhelmingly finite. The incentive structures in companies are usually finite driven, uh, the pressures we get put on by our parents or our guidance counselors. Are always pushing us to be the best or be number one. There's no no such thing, really. Um, nobody wins education, Uh so you know we have to have the courage to to build and maintain this infinite mindset.
1: It's it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, and so then, boy, there's a lot here. Can you share with us what have you found as you researched and worked with folks? Are some of the just really top do's and don'ts, best practices and worst practices? associated with each of these things that professionals should start doing and, or stop doing right away to bring them about?
2: Well, as I said, uh, the, the easiest one to do is to stop seeing either people we work with as competitors, like internal competition is unhealthy, but internal rivalries are very healthy. You don't have to like the people. You don't have to agree with them. But we do have to respect people who are better at things than we are. And we can learn about ourselves and we can learn from them. Um, that, I think, is the easiest one and one of the best things to do. And also just appreciate. That there are these two types of people. That uh, not everything fits the same rule book. Not everything is about winning and losing when there's no finish line. So just to appreciate the fact that the, the way we think the world works is actually not the way the world works.
1: Understood. Okay. And let's talk about existential flexibility a bit. I think that one might be harder to conceptually grasp. Can you expand on that Midge? smidge?
2: So um, – Existential flexibility is a capacity to make a profound strategic shift in order to advance a just cause. This is not the daily flexibility that's required, but rather profound strategic shifts. Um, My favorite example, it happened to Apple. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, the founder of Apple, um, they had a just cause. They wanted to empower individuals to stand up to big brother. They were revolutionaries. And so this is the reason they found appeal in the personal computer. They saw it as a tool that could empower individuals to do just that. They imagined a world where one day an individual could actually compete with a corporation. Apple had already had great success with the Apple I and the Apple II. It's already a big company. Steve Jobs is already a famous CEO. And they uh, go off, as Jobs and a few of his senior executives go off for a tour of Xerox Park. This was Xerox's uh, internal R&D department. Uh, um, and uh, uh, Xerox showed them something they invented called the Graphic User Interface, which allowed computer users to use the computer by clicking a mouse and moving a cursor to work the computer rather than having to learn code. This was a profound innovation. Job saw this as way more powerful to help individuals learn and take advantage of computer technology. He left that tour and said to his senior executives, we have to invest in this graphic user interface thing. One of those executives, you know, the voice of reason, said, Steve, we can't. We've already invested millions of dollars in countless man hours in a completely different st- strategic direction. If we walk away from that, we'll blow up our own company, to which Jobs actually said, better we should blow it up than someone else. That decision led to the Macintosh, okay, uh, 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 uh. The computer operating system is so profound that literally changed the way computers exist in our lives today. The entire software of Windows is designed to act like an Macintosh. The reason a computer is a household appliance and on every single desk was because of Jobs' willingness to make this existential flex, to walk away from the money they invested and the time they invested because he found a better way to advance his cause.
1: Okay, so existential, I'm hearing you there, is like we're saying like the very stuff that you have held, like, practically as sacred, you know, as core to who we are, what we're about, and what we fundamentally do. It's like, well, we can be flexible with that and go in a totally different way.
2: Yeah, exactly. And what a lot of companies do in the face of cultural change or technological change or, or political change is because they fear having to completely change the way they do things, they double down. We've seen this happen over and over again. Right? Why is it that Netflix invented itself? not the television and movie industry? Why is it that iTunes was invented by a computer company and not the music industry? How is it that Amazon invented itself and the e-reader and not the publishing industry? It's because they were so short-sighted and so preoccupied with maintaining their finite game that they literally missed the opportunity to advance any kind of cause because of the technological change that they were facing. Now they're all playing defense.
1: Uh Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. That's good. Well, so let's see. Yeah, I've got a couple other things I wanted to touch on beyond the infinite game. Tell me any kind of critical things you want to make sure that we get out there so that this part of the conversation feels complete. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> that feels good. Uh, so a friend of mine told me that I must ask you because I first saw you do this spiel on um, Tom Bilyeu's show, Impact Theory, about millennials. I don't know if that was the first or, or just sort of what seemed to go viral in my feeds. But it was quite thought-provoking, so we'll definitely link to that. And so I had a friend who said, you have to ask Simon, do you have any key solutions for folks who are trying to facilitate the development of emotional maturity in millennials? So you got solutions, tips, tricks, tactics? Lay them on us.
2: Well, number one, have empathy. Um, You know, every single generation is formed by the experience that they had when they came of age. You know, if you have grandparents who lived through the Great Depression or the Second World War, very many of them are miserly There's nothing wrong with them because they lived through the Depression or the War. Well, every generation is the same way. And the millennial millennial generation was the first generation to come of age where cell phones and social media were ubiquitous. It affects their worldview. They also came of age in a time where mass layoffs at companies had become completely embraced and normalized. You know, when you talk about getting a gold watch after devoting your entire career uh, to one company, there's an entire generation that has no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about the gold watch. And so when we complain that they have no loyalty, we have to consider how they grew up. Com- they grew up in a world where they watched their parents getting laid off because of nothing that their parents did. They just, the company happened to miss its arbitrary projections at the end of the year. And so, and so they're cynical. They don't trust companies because companies have never showed them loyalty. Um, and so we have to have empathy. That's number one. And number two, um, we have to teach people the skills that are missing. And that goes to the leaders as well. You know, do leaders that, that are that are overseeing uh, millennials, do they even have the ability to listen? Are we teaching people listening skills? Are we teaching people how to give and receive feedback? Are we teaching people how to people how to come to terms with their own limiting narratives? Uh, are we
1: teaching effective confrontation? These are the basics of leadership. And if we don't teach the basics of leadership, we don't get leaders, we get managers. So
2: I think we need to teach leaders how to lead and we need to help um, all generations learn the skill set.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so that's handy. And then I also want to get your view when it comes to this why stuff, you've been playing that game for a while. So I'd love to hear, have you noticed any patterns or insights in terms of, boy, it really seems that when folks engage in these questions of reflection, or these processes of introspection, it really seems to be delivering insights with a high probability and reliability. So what's the latest, greatest, in how to come up with your why effectively? Well, first of all, you have to ask
2: for help. Uh, none of us is ab- objective about our own lives and our own careers. We, we need somebody who has a, uh, an impartial outside point of view. But there's a fun way to do it um, that gets you in the bullpark. Um, I call it the friend's test. Basically, what you do is go and find a friend you love, someone who you would call at 3 o'clock in the morning and you know they would take your call and vice versa. you would take theirs. Don't do this with a spouse. Don't do this with a sibling. Don't do this with a parent. Those relationships are too close. Do it with a close friend and ask them this simple question. Why are we friends? And they're going to look at you like you're crazy. But they'll say things to you like, I don't know. Why are you asking me this? And so you have to keep peppering them. But you actually, ironically, stop asking why because it's an emotional question. And you switch to what, which is a rational question. What is it about me that I know that you would be there for me no matter what? And they'll start describing you. Uh, I don't know. You're funny. I can trust you. You're loyal. And you have to play devil's advocate. You can't help them. You can't let anybody else have help them. You have to go through the process. You say things like, well, that's the definition of a friend. You, that's, that's generic. What is it specifically about me that I know you'd be there for me no matter what? And again, they're going to go through this process. It might be multiple times. It might be a little bit tortured. But at some point, they're going to give up, and they're going to just start start describing themselves, not you. And you're going to get goosebumps. You're going to have some sort of emotional reaction. You're going to well up. My friend said to me, Simon, I don't even need to talk to you. I can just sit in a room with you, and I feel inspired. And I got goosebumps. In other words, what they're finally able to articulate is the value you have in their lives. And that value you have in their lives is your life, the thing you give to the world, the reason people want you and need you in their lives. And by the way, if you do it with multiple friends, they'll tell you the same thing. Um, if not the exact same words, they'll, they'll tell you uh, very, very similar words. It's kind of amazing.
1: That is awesome. And it sounds like fun. I'm looking forward to doing exactly that. Well, Simon, tell me anything you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Nope. All right. Well, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Um, there's a great quote by Henry Ford that I love quote, that goes, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Oh, that's good. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
2: I think the Whitehall studies are pretty amazing that were done. I wrote about them in leadership labs where basically we believe that people, the higher up you get in a company, the more stress you have because you have more responsibility, etc. And what the Whitehall studies revealed is actually your stress levels go down as you go more, get more senior and stress levels are actually the highest mind because the more control and discretion you have on how to get our work done it actually reduces stress. And you know, when we remove control away from people or don't give them discretion, it actually increases stress to a very, very high degree. So one of the best ways to keep people healthy is let them make choices on how to do their jobs.
1: hmm And how about a favorite book?
2: Um well Finite the Games is pretty amazing by James Karst. Um, and also I, I'm a big fan of Man uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl.
1: And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job.
2: Uh, maintain friendships, uh, look after your friends, uh, look after your, the people you work with because when stress is high and the chips are down, um, you're going to need people in your corner who rush to your aid, um, without being asked. So the way that that happens is, is you got to be a good friend to other people
1: too. And how about a favorite nugget, something you share that really seems to connect and resonate and they quote it back to you often?
2: I think the quote that people say back to me most often is when I, when I said, um, Working hard for something you don't believe in is called stress. Working hard for something you love is called passion. And I think we think passion is an input, but it's not. It's an output. Uh, people say, you know, I only hire passionate people, but the problem is is passion is not an input. We're all passionate for something. We're just not all passionate for the same thing. And our passion can be amplified if we're working for something that we believe is bigger than ourselves. So uh, I think that's a good one.
1: Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch with your organization and what you're up to, where would you point them?
2: So we're in all the usual places, um, simonsynic.com uh, and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and not TikTok. We don't
1: have a TikTok channel. <laughs> and do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks who are looking to be awesome at their jobs? Uh, be the leader
2: you wish you had. Um, so many people complain that they work in companies that have bad leadership and that their bosses or their boss's boss doesn't get it. Well, we don't have to quit and we don't have to complain. Uh, we can be the leaders we wish we had. We can show up every day and work hard to ensure that the people we work with, including our own boss, uh, feel inspired when they come to work in
1: the morning. Mm -hmm. Simon, thank you. This has been a joy and keep up the great work.
2: Thanks very much. And thanks for giving me a place to help share my ideas.
1: I really appreciated Simon's take on the ahead versus behind days and perspective and how literally nothing happens if you fall short of a goal. And I think that just can be a huge boost to the confidence and recovery and the self-esteem in terms of getting right back on track and making it happen, having that self-forgiveness and rocking and rolling. So I hope you dug that and more from Simon, the show notes, the transcript, the links are at com slash ep547. If you haven't already, I hope you will push subscribe to catch our next guest. It is Davida Stanley. She's got some pro tips on how to structure your thinking and presentations. So it sounds all the more brilliant when you deliver it. Hope to catch you there and peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered.